friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined uh, by my co-host with the code, Alex Dandino. <laughs> In all things, I don't even know the codes, but it sounds cool when you start sentences like that. It does. All right, before we get to today's special episode a little bit of business guys if you could take a quick couple seconds right now this second leave us a five-star rating uh and a review of the show wherever you listen to this podcast especially if that be apple podcast app five stars a couple sentences helps us defeat the algorithmic overlords uh bring some more people into the show uh to join the fun we appreciate all of you who have been doing that you can subscribe to our youtube channel film alchemist uh, for video versions of these podcasts and some other cool stuff that we'll be working on bringing you throughout this year. So Film Alchemist on YouTube. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com and find us on all the social media sites uh, that you're on. It's a great way to get a hold of us. Uh, just chat about movies, man. Let us know things you'd like to hear on the show. New, old, theme for a month, uh, double feature, guest host, whatever it may be. We would love to hear about that. So all your social medias, and again, the email address, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Uh, so thank you guys who have been reaching out there, too. We've gotten some really cool emails lately, and we appreciate all of you who've been doing that. All right. Today, Tuesday, this is for guest special movies, new movies. Uh, Criterion Channel just dropped a movie that I absolutely adore. And Alex and I thought this would be a great time to discuss the hidden gem, Ghost Dog. It's time to Ghost Dog, right? The Way of the Samurai, a Jim Jarmusch film. Again, this just came onto the Criterion channel recently. So, uh, great time to check this film out. Alex, had you seen Ghost Dog, and what are your initial thoughts on the film? Oh, yes. I saw Ghost Dog in high school. The first time I saw it was in high school. I went through that. It was right before I went to college, and I had that period of time. I don't know if anybody else did this, but like when you're going to go to film school or whatever you're going to do, I was like, man, there's a bunch of movies that are just like holes in my uh, holes in my collective movie knowledge, and Ghost Dog was one of them. So I watched Ghost Dog. I watched it again a few more times after that, of course. Um, it's just a great movie. Like I think the thing is everybody always wants to say that it's sort of this – I don't think anyone's ever blatantly called it a ripoff, which is great because it's not. It's its own movie altogether because everyone always references uh, Le Samurai, which is this French film with a very similar premise, mainly in just like Ghost Dog's character is very mm. similar to this other character who's a French guy who, surprise, surprise, also lives by the code of the samurai and is an assassin. Um, but to me, the thing that really makes... There are a lot of guys that live by the code of the samurai. First off, <laughs> there are. The, to me, the ma thing that makes thing that makes this movie special and makes it particularly worth watching is just the Jim Jarmusch of it all. This movie could be like the worst version of itself, which is just like this like horribly hokey. Because it came out in '99. '99 was a great time to make like movies that seemed deep and then were not almost immediately jim jarmusch <laughs> has never made a movie like that but i think the thing that makes this movie so special is that 
the Jim Jarmusch of it all is very meditative, very, very quiet. And that's the kind of movie he's always made. So for him to pick essentially like a hitman who follows a code to be the main character of his movie and let alone let it be Forrest Whitaker is really fascinating and makes the movie all the more captivating. Yeah, see, you praise the Jim Jarmusch of it all. For me, it was the Forrest Whitaker of it all. Um, I forget where I, I think it might have even been the William Friedkin documentary, Leap of Faith, where he talked about the best thing you'll ever be able to put on camera is just someone's face, right? It's the most expressive landscape that we'll ever be able to reach an audience and move them and this and that. And I was just struck by how captivating Forrest Whitaker is in every single frame of this movie. Um, Cause especially there's a lot of the Jim Jarmusch of it gets in with like, there's a lot of these it's, it's the Irishman, right? Of it's time where it's like, we have to commute and you're going to sit through all of this, right? Get your white gloves on and turn your stereo to 21 because we're commuting with Forrest Whitaker for like what feels like five minute stretches. I'm sure it's only like a minute, but it feels like these long fucking stretches of just Forrest Whitaker driving somewhere, staring out at the city and the landscapes as they pass and the different people he passes and, right. you know, just kind of. But but that mixture of Jarmusch and Forrest Whitaker in those moments really work in a way that I feel like a lot of well, other people wouldn't have pulled. Well, on. I think that goes to the credit of just the two. So like Jim Jarmusch has been has said that if Forrest Whitaker hadn't done the movie, he probably wouldn't have even made it. Like this role was written for Forrest Whitaker, Yeah, which makes sense because I'm not sure there's many other actors I'm willing to watch for 37 minutes before they utter a single word on camera and like be completely captivated the entire time. Like, my wife, yeah. my wife watched it with me, and you know, Andrea's taken to wa watching a lot of these movies with me now, and like, she was also just like, "Oh my god, he hasn't spoken the entire time, has he?" I'm like, "No," but we're like <laughs> locked in with Forrest Whitaker because he is just, it's a captivating, he's a captivating actor in and of himself, but like, he's captivating particularly as Ghost Dog because there is there is mystery upon mystery, even when you know the general ethos of where this guy came from like you just still need to know more and you're not gonna get it it's yeah it's masterful it's amazing yeah as tony soprano said the strong quiet type right and you no know, the gary cooper type. Is, there, yeah i mean he's he's just great in this movie because it is it's it's this front of strength but I think that's kind of the the thing that Forrest brought to it is that you just you look at him and there there is a, a huggableness, right? So even though this guy is a, He's a bear, a straight up killer, because I, I wrote in my notes, I was like, this is my happy place. Like I would watch this movie for 10 hours. It's just him on the bench talking about books with that little girl. Mm -hmm. Right. When they both have their cases and they're talking about what books they've read and they've uh, you know, they're sharing the stories, this and that. And he passes her the Rashomon. And I was like, this moment right here is is what really sells this movie a lot for me, is that despite how bad Forrest is in this, I mean, they said he's committed, what, 12 contracts? And, you know, you see him, he's, he's very handy at creating silencers. And by the end of the film, you're like, this guy's a fucking murder machine. But that's not the thing that's present, right? No. A lot of guys 
would play like this this feels like a jason statham movie nowadays right where he just like doesn't talk and just like look at my five o'clock shadow right that's what i was saying like in the hands of a different director or different actor like this movie becomes the transporter because all right so it's a guy (laughs) which is a fine movie of its own but no like it has its own merits but like this is very different because it it feels like a very different movie specifically because you have forrest whitaker doing jim jarmusch and like there's the scene for me that always is like the captivator like the one that encapsulates the entire movie and explains everything you need to know about ghost dog is uh the first time that he takes uh pearlene to meet raymond the whole bit about the bear i'm like there it is right there like you need to know nothing else if you watched that scene and knew nothing else about this movie other than like ghost dogs is an assassin and you watched raymond explain what bears are that was that's literally all you need to know like that to me is and it's only it's interesting <laughs> because also he's doing it in french and again i mean isaac debankel is just like he's explaining it to us and not to them yeah isaac debankel is also just like <laughs> so good in the, like everybody is good in this movie i i, I mean other than like i'll be honest like most of the italian guys are just like guys i've seen in every other movie like half of them were in casino it's <laughs> i know i was like they got the fat blabber mouth from kansas yeah, i was gonna city. say they got they the got fucking like, kansas city they guys. got all the sorry, casino Mama, sorry. Like, that fucking guy, they got that guy and the guy with like the raspy voice who talks like this yeah i mean i i love the italians in this movie too they th- this whole movie feels very authentic to me to where they are right but but again i i think that bear scene's a great example because that is ghost dog's best friend is just another person he can exist around yeah they play chess and eat ice cream right and he brings this little girl in because she was saying my mom says you live on the roof you're a creep you have no friends he's like that's just not true yeah. you know like i got this guy like that's some kind of defense right but but the line that stuck out with me right because they do these interludes where they cut to the the pages from the way of the samurai right, right? these kind of life bits you know or you know metaphors for life but the one is when he talks about when he goes to kill the mob boss who loves public enemy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's talking about the rainstorm, right? Like the rainstorm's going to come. And he's like, you can lose your shit and be the person that runs around. And you jump under eaves of houses and this and that. And he's like, the difference is between a normal person and a samurai is that the samurai just embraces it for what it is. And he's like, either way, you get the same soaking. Yeah. Right. That was kind of the lesson of the parable is that you get the same soaking. And once you learn to accept that in that headspace, you see all things in that way. That to me was the the moment where I was like, that's that's what the movie does really well for me. Right. Is that. Because the, the thing is, is you start seeing these quotes and as they come up, you're like the samurai code. It's so like we just don't live like this anymore. Right. right. But. I think that's why we're drawn to movies like this. The the idea of a man who's so committed to something, anything, right? I think what it does is we feel like it's very limiting. But what I think it is is these guys are these people, this this lost art of really giving yourself to something, yeah. right? I think it actually frees you up so much more because you just have your go-tos. Like he says, right? Always make your decisions within seven breaths. And I was like, well, you can do that when everything you do is a fucking – postcard of you know code on your wall right and so i i think that just this is the code this is how i live i think that's just such a 
a weird counterintuitive way to how we work now that it becomes captivating to watch rather than limiting. What did you take on that? Yeah, I mean, to me, when we've talked about this before, to me, when like text intersects the movie like that, it rarely captivates me the way it does in this movie. Like, <laughs> to me, I'm just like, you're now just biting times. You, you have to frame up your story so that I know what you're trying to intend going forward. Like, what I like about Ghost Dog is there's never a time where I don't know where the movie's going. So the excerpts of dialogue that come from, I'm not sure what the, uh, I don't know, is it Haragure or Haragure? Or I don't know how to say it. But either way, Kara, Kara Googie? Kara either Googie. way, the book that is the way of the samurai, every time these passages come on screen, it does nothing. It does nothing but enrich the story, actually, because it's not telling you yeah. like, all right, cool. We're finished with that part. Now we have to explain to you really quickly without telling you what's about to happen. You're like, great. I don't need to know any of this. What it is, is telling you the mood. It's explaining to you where Ghost Dog's head is at without having to explain anything and knowing exactly where this is going. Because we all know how it's going to go. There's nothing about this movie that, to me, was, like, shocking or surprising. There was nothing, like, and again, like, I've seen it a bunch. But even the first time I remember watching it and being like, this is pretty much like a straightforward, like, hit gone bad. People are, like, trying to cover their tracks. And the only honorable guy is the one who actually killed people. Like, that is... <laughs> that is sort of like the weird <laughs> it's sort of the weird thing about it is like i spend the entire movie rooting for ghost dog and that's like you shouldn't he's the guy who murdered people in the beginning of this movie and you're like i hope that guy murders all these guys my god like it's the power of the story itself and it's the power of those passages is it's it's reframing the character so that you're like wow this man does carry himself with great honor and I think that's the thing that you latch on to is everyone else acts dishonorably. Even even, uh, even Louie. Everybody else acts with great dishonor. He's the only one who follows an actual code. Well, I think that's the yeah. thing I like the most. Uh, he follows a code. It's not necessarily honorable, right? There, one of the, There's uh, honor the thing in about following the framing the device, right? Is Jarmusch usually... Well, I mean, sure, but what if your code is like, I, well, I'm not even going to say those. Yeah, whatever, whatever you're about you to say code, right? is you a horrible example, because I know where you're going with it. Okay, well, I didn't say it, so I, so I just followed my own code. I don't say the things that I think out loud. That's my code. First now. time first time to follow a code <laughs> for so, everything, everyone. <laughs> how dare you? Code's off. Code's off for the rest of the show. Code's off. No. So we're sitting there, and... It's it's the Jim Jarmusch, right? The fade to black. Yeah. Which to me is one of the super annoying Jim Jarmusch trademarks, right? right. So it just immediately stops me and you're like, oh, now I'm out. It's like fucking rope-a-dope in me around. I hate the fade to black between every scene, right? This one is different, though. And I, I agree with you. It shouldn't work. But what I like about it is it's telling you why Ghost Dog is doing things but it, it doesn't feel invasive, right? It doesn't feel lazy or cheating, right? Right. Like, uh, there is the one moment where, and this is near the end, right? When we kind of see, because a lot of this movie is seeing the urban decay and this and that. Yeah. And just the surroundings of Ghost Dog and where he's at. In the one where he talks about, you know, there are a lot of people that want to go back 100 years, right? Mm -hmm. This is impossible. You can't do that. So what you need to do is make the best out of every generation. Right. 
And to us, that reads as Ghost Dog saying, I need to do the best with the time I have, right? But what it really is, is it's, it, it in that moment, it becomes a really interesting take on, you know, this kind of African-American urban decay story, right? And it stopped trying to go, this is, I think, probably pretty close to after he finds the uh, deer hunters. Yeah. And just ran, or the bear hunters. They actually had killed a bear, mm-hmm. right? And he just jumps out and they just start with kind of the not very subtle racism. Next thing you know, they get got. Right. And he's, uh, you know, there are ancient ways. And the guy's like, this ain't no ancient civilization, failure. And he goes, it is today. Boom. Yeah. Gats him, right? And next thing you know, we're talking about don't waste generations, right? And this, you know, it has this nice subtle interplay, right? Mm-hmm. So while it feels like it's telling us Ghost Dog's motivations and it's kind of cheating the show don't tell, I think you hit it really close to how it felt for me as it was just adding to me it played more like the soundtrack right like it's just bringing out these little bits of extra emotion and saturation of my mind in the story um because they even start on a really weird one right which is um a samurai every day must imagine that he's dead right or the essence of a samurai is imagining uh, all these death scenarios, right? Imagine yourself falling off a mountain. Imagine yourself getting hit with a hail of arrows. Um, you know, and in this, you a samurai must always consider himself dead, that kind of thing. Right. That's a really strange place to start a movie. To tell us that here's this guy who just every day spends all of his time thinking about being dead. And you're like... Okay, he's kind of a hitman samurai who always thinks of himself as dead. But then the movie goes on and we see this shockingly rich life that he seems to have cultivated for himself. And I think that's what it does, right? Is it 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 doesn't feel it's not really the cheating that it seems to be on the surface. Well, it's the cheat that anybody else, again, in the hands of lesser filmmakers or the hands of lesser actors, it's the cheat you would use to avoid having to do what these guys do so well in this movie, which is give a character pathos without having to like, you know, he again, like force Whitaker doesn't say a word until 37 minutes into the movie. And the first thing he does is start talking about books, books he likes to read. He like, or, you know, asking a dog to go away. Like those are little things in this movie. (laughs) All of these little moments are also revealing about what it is. Cause ghost dog, isn't this like, we think he's scary for half an hour of the movie. We think he's, oh man, this guy doesn't talk to anybody. He's terrifying. He just sits there and observes the world and feeds his pigeons. And that's his life. And he kills people. Oh my God. And then we go to the, and then we go to the park and he's just sitting there and he has a very pleasant conversation. He's not this in blood. He's not some bloodthirsty animal. What he is is simply a man who follows a certain way to live. Like to me, it's less about the samurai, like, to me like samurai like the quote you're talking bringing up about i can't remember i don't i do not remember exactly how it goes but basically that a samurai must live every to me more interpreting like a samurai must live every day assuming it will be his last not necessarily imagining his scenarios of death constantly Mm -hmm. but assuming death lurks around the corner death death waits for no man so to me ghost dog living his life like that that's why we have these really wonderful moments where he's interacting with like Raymond and Perlene and even Louie to a lesser, even Louie to some extent lesser because he ends up having to chase Louie for most of the movie. But like the Perlene and Raymond uh, scenes are so great because 
it's the tapestry he's woven for his life which is yes like death lurks around the corner like he is a merchant of death he will eventually meet his end at the hands of god knows what but in the meantime taking in the simple things like a scoop of ice cream and a chess game with your friend that's what makes things worth living for the moment that he's in and that's why i think that that's that's why that ending we'll get to right. that that's why that ending's so great to me well also we see in flashback right the death of ghost dog or whoever ghost dog was before right, right? this kid who found himself on the wrong end again like maybe the generational wasted uh motif they were talking about right but these guys were beating him if not ready to kill him right they did whip out a gun and louis killed this kid and in that moment whoever ghost dog was was gone and then he dedicated him i think they said three years later he tracked down louis right and was like now i'm your retainer i send a pigeon every day to your house you pay me on the first day of autumn so somewhere in that time of being the kid who was out at the other end of the barrel right he found this book and found this way of life. So even though he was saved, he sees that as a metaphoric death right. and creates himself as this character that, again, believes in the end we all get well, the same soaking. Let me ask you this then. So what's the merit of how I walk through the world? And I think that's what is beautiful. Well, let me ask you this, though, because I – in response to that, okay. I guess not in response to that. I'm actually just segueing into something else completely. But I wanted, <laughs> but you brought up, but you brought up the birth of Ghost Dog, that scene, and it's there's two different versions of it. Do you think Ghost Dog remembers it the way it happened, or do you think Louis is the one? Like, why would Louis make it up? That's the question. I don't think. Louis makes it up, but I would imagine Louis's truth because this gets back to the Rashomon thing, right? Yeah. This is like this I would is a imagine that take off Louis's truth. Right. I mean, both of their truths are going to be a little more heroic than it probably was in the beat, right? That Ghost Dog probably, because this man followed him for three years, right. declared his loyalty, made him his retainer. I'm sure that there's a part of Louis that has beefed this up in his mind a little right, bit, right? right? That he's better than he was. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure to Ghost Dog, he definitely believes that. So, yeah, I mean, I think we all do that. In every story that anyone tells me, I assume there's probably at least like 40% fluff and embellishment. Way more. Because that's just who we are as yeah. a people. There's a 60-40. That's, that's just what we do, right? This, this thing happened. Yeah. And by the 10th time you're telling a story, now you know what part hit. You know, oh, this didn't get a reaction, right. so I'm going to add another detail right, right, here right. and make it. And especially for Ghost Dog, whose entire life is crafting this character, right? Because you see him walk through, and he's respected by all, right? Everyone's like, hey, what's up, Ghost Dog? They even show, you know, the the Blue Gang and the Red Gang. I don't know if that was a Crips and Blood <laughs> play, but he, he seems to be respected by all in his vicinity. Because right. I think they all recognize, here's a guy who's just doing something he's trying to be better you know for right or wrong and maybe you know you could argue if he is good or not by the end of the film but they respect that right so yeah i mean i would assume the incident with louis that that's probably a greatly exaggerated story and i would imagine that they both are right if i'm being honest i mean yeah i i always yeah i feel like maybe 
because in in both in one the guy points the gun at ghost dog and in the other he points the gun at louie i'm trying to at louie and that was always my thing is like i was always trying to figure out if someone is if someone wants to be the hero of their own because ghost dog is not the hero in his story ghost dog's hero is louie in that story and louie's the hero of his own story because he killed the guy anyways so I've always assumed that Go- yeah. I've always assumed Ghost Dogs was the truer one because he was because he was the one in trouble. He's he has no reason to embellish it. Because- but he was also probably fucking concussed and bloody eyed, right? So let me ask you this: Does it matter if the gun was pointed at Ghost Dog versus Louis Moore? I mean, I'd say it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter either way because Ghost Dog was essentially about to get murdered either by being beaten to death or by being shot. Yeah. To me, the the fact that he just points a gun, period, right? That the criminal, the, uh, you know, extra from the town points the gun, right? (laughs) Yeah. That lets you know that death was an option. So I think then by just painting the picture of where the gun is, you're just trying to shift a little bit the morals of it, right? right. That Louis's not just another guy with the right, gun, right. right? That now it becomes this, you know, honor amongst thieves. Good, because I, I think that's one of the thing you see, especially with the mobsters. They like to, because that's one of the confusing things in the movie, right? This hit is ordered on handsome, handsome Larry. That doesn't sound like an Italian handsome, handsome Frank mobster name. But handsome whoever. Frank. Handsome Frank. That sounds better. Handsome Frank. But so the hit is ordered on handsome Frank. The guy's daughter is supposed to be out of the picture. So they put her on a bus rather than just put her in that castle. Right. She happens to be there when the hit goes down and they're like, now because of that. Ghost dogs got to go. Right. So it's it's confusing as to why this all has to happen, this and that. But I think it gets back to it's one of those. They're crafting their own narrative. Right. Right. That blood dog or, you know, ghost dog is blood dog. He's this thing that he's not that now they have a moral high ground, even though they're involved in something criminal themselves. Right. So I think a lot of the movie is because you were saying like ghost dog might be the only honorable person. I don't know that I would say that ghost dog is honorable. What we at least see is that ghost dog has set the boundaries or he's at least set the flag post right. or the lighthouse, whatever. You know, visual metaphor you want to use. I've never thought Ghost Dog has the moral high ground, but I think he's definitely one of the people who he's one of the only characters in the movie who is doing the thing that he believe is he believes is correct. These guys, well, you at least get the sense that he's he's doing it. He's at least thought about why he's doing it, whereas the mobsters always feel like they're just what's the lie I need to tell right now to get through with it, right? Like we see when they shoot the the guy who's just kind of like the chubbier old guy. Yeah. And he's like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And they just shoot him and they're like, "Well, he kind of looks like him. He was a black guy right. with pigeons." And they're like, "He said to shoot him. This isn't on us. That's on him for just, you know, being a black guy with pigeons." So you hear them constantly just telling these lies. Right. To get past their behavior, which they clearly don't feel bad for at all. And so I think that's the difference is that Ghost Dog at least seems thoughtful, right? We see him take a chance when he doesn't shoot the the lady, right? He just steals her book, Rashomon. Right. Um, we're just gonna pass over that crime, right? Oh my God, how much are late fees on that, Ghost Dog? But neither here nor there. It wasn't. It wasn't a library. <laughs> so he's book. a book criminal, and not as much of a murderer. 
I mean, that's still public property that he he thefted. That's her property. Stole, it's still public word, property. It's her property. Well, that's that's even worse. Everyone steals from the library. It's called renting. Alex Ghost Dog just straight up steals. He's a biblio whoa, thief. Whoa, it wasn't a it wasn't, it wasn't a library him. book. I know. I'm saying that makes it worse because he stole it from some. He stole it some worse, some though. some girl. Oh, now she's just some girl to you. See how you're already stole bringing it, her down. Stole the it from some girl. Blamed. Stole from some girl and then gifted it to a child. Yeah, it's a real monster. Pfft, this guy, I tell you. Wow, very uppity go. about the whites. Let's in this let's movie. pretend Robin Hood is not a criminal. <laughs> let's pretend that Robin Hood's not a criminal first. I don't care about him redistributing the book wealth. <laughs> I'm just saying. I knew he wasn't an all the way good guy because he stole the book. Wow. I'm just saying. That's how I knew. Something was wrong. A lot of defense. Something a lot was of defense. But in that moment, he did choose the lesser crime. He did not kill her. No. And he says to Louis, I wasn't contracted to kill, to no, kill no ladies, yes. right? He also wasn't contracted to be a book thief, but I guess we'll just <laughs> turn a blind eye to that crime. It's fine with me. Oh, yeah, just because there's no chapter on as the sun rises, don't steal the pages with writing on them. We'll just let him run around being a book thief. That's fine. Yes, that's a much less heinous crime than a murder. <laughs> so yes, if Ghost Dog chose in that funny moment, that he kills like <laughs> if Ghost Dog chose in that moment in the movie to become a book thief forever, I'd be like, that's a fine, fine move. Good for him. A new vocation. I I, sh I shit you not though. This really bothered me in the movie <laughs> when he stole the book, and then at the end. He gets the she gets the book back, right? Yeah, but it's bloody and it's stained. It actually irked me. I was like, oh, couldn't even take care of the book, even though it's like his. He took care of the book. Fine, he gave it to the girl to read, and then he got shot me. to death. It's different. It it bothered me. I don't know why. I'm not saying it's right, but I cared more about that book than any other human being. In the, like once Ghost Dog was out of the way, you're like. Now I'm sad that they ruined that book. <laughs> also, I was like, why did you take the book back from the girl? Leave it with her. You know you're leaving all your possessions behind. But now, no, he had to stain a good book. That's crime number two. And the 28 murders we see. And the theft of cars and clothes. But the book one is really the crime that bothered me the most. I don't know why. <laughs> Something's wrong with you. You're not with me on this. You're just pro-book stealing. That's fine. In the context of this movie, yes. I know who can't come over to my house, Ghost Alex. You can't come to my house anymore. Excuse me, I've always returned your books. Thank you very much. Mm, now I'm starting to wonder. In fact, we, I'm going to check them for blood stains. In fact, we've talked about this. I know the people who haven't returned books to you, and those people literally were not invited back to your house. Yeah, no, I, I like have a list. If I ever become Ghost Octopus, which would be my samurai name... I know exactly who I'm going after first, and it's Biblio Thieves. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just derailing our whole fucking conversation to scream about to scream about a guy stealing a book one of those after murdering someone. Right, but I didn't care about Handsome Frank. I take the theft of books very seriously. <laughs> it's one of those weird... I told you this story, right? I was showing my friend Pulp Fiction. It was another one of those college things. Where you're like, you've got to see this movie. This is a groundbreaking movie, right? At the time, I was, I saw it. I was like, this is the best movie ever made. And I showed it to my friend. He's sitting there. 
he's huffing and puffing. I'm like, this non-fucking film school pleb doesn't understand this movie. And I was getting ready to fight with him. So as the movie ends, I'm like, what's your fucking problem? I heard you huffing and puffing over there the whole movie. And he's like, that doesn't bother you at all. And I was like, what? And he's like, Uma Thurman's haircut, completely uneven. And I was just like, what? And it was so, it was the thing. From the moment he saw Uma Thurman, he could not concentrate on the rest of the movie because he couldn't figure out why her haircut was uneven. It's strange, but sometimes there's just little details in movies that derail doesn't people. Doesn't she throw the book? She doesn't drop it. She throws it. Well, I'm sure she drops it because she's fucking scared. No, that that's Hansom not the Frank sequence of events. Down. She threw the book, and then Handsome Frank looks I down believe. and then looks up. That's how we see the ghost dogs in the house. Wait, are you insinuating she threw the book at Ghost Dog so it's self-defense theft? That's not what I'm insinuating. What I'm insinuating is that she clearly didn't oh, care okay. for the book at all, so it went to a better owner. <laughs> I think the moment you see your side piece get blown the fuck away in your room of a moor, it's safe to assume <laughs> that you can drop the book and it's That's still yours That's not to the own. sequence of events that happened. She threw the book first. Then we the camera pans up to reveal Ghost Dog, and then Handsome Frank oh, looks over. He's like, "What's your problem?" Oh my god, he gets sepukud, and then <laughs> as she's listening to him on the phone talking about how he knows he's about yeah. to get whacked, and then okay, so now this is your this is the state's defense. Is that she was in no state to be a mother to that book? Yes, I agree. She already <laughs> threw the book once. He was giving How it to a good dare. home. All right. I'm going to try to shift us away from the book for the love of God, because I could do this for another hour. I don't know how. I just proved you wrong. Hill to die on. Well, that's clearly not true. The tapes will show it both. It, shut up. All right. So <laughs> Handsome Frank Why? brings up a really cool thing I want to get to. Go for it. Which is, I love the deaths in this movie. Yes. The, the, the close-up deaths. Let me, let me rephrase uh -huh. that, right? Because I feel like we get about 20 Italians that get shot from afar and just go, Ugh! and do like their version of a pratfall, yeah, right? a lot of Italian deaths. But probably the two that most stick out in my head, and Ghost Dogs, right? The three big ones to me. Uh, the just leathery, ball-sack-faced Italian mafia boss. Oh, yeah. And Handsome Frank, right? I love how they all get shot. And they still kind of remain very calm, still, and stoic for a moment. Mm -hmm. and, right? Even if there's blood pops and it's kind of, you know, brutal in that regard, the bodies themselves remain a moment of calm and cool before they go. Yes. What did you make of this? I thought that was super cool. I mean, to me, it's the uh, it's what Ghost Dog talks about in the beginning of the movie. It's the acceptance of death. It's the no. It's the knowledge that death is happening. Like even Ghost Dog himself at the end of the movie, he gets popped four times and he's still mm -hmm. calm, walks, barely falls. It's a very simple thing. Like I think that is, if you know your numbers up or that your number could be up at any time, you aren't surprised when it happens. I think that's the thing that's great about those two deaths particularly. Like. The leathery-faced Italian guy who's hanging out with, who's, like, doing dance moves to, oh, God. Watching old Italian guys dance is just, like, whew, especially to Public Enemy. Brutal. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> How dare you? 
No, not the public enemy death. The the guy who gets up and buttons his jacket, right? The the head mob boss. Oh, Henry Silva. Oh, yeah. Well, that one too is just like Yeah. It's I mean cuz that one again is just super stoked cuz he's like I've been waiting for you. It's like okay, so you knew this was going to happen. And like there's no cuz this is the yeah. other thing I like about the movie is it subverts this it subverts that assumption that you know there's going to be some standoff. I love that there's not. I love that it's not a matter of like, well, yeah. I have to say the thing I was going to say. Like he has nothing bad at Ghost Dog has nothing badass to say. Ghost Dog just killed like twenty guys in a room. The, ba- the badass thing's been yeah, said. Well, also his like his samurai advice was in all things I run in head first without thought. And I was like, that seems like that a seems bad plan. Pretty and then it just works. But, he just wastes. But again, I guess if you're going to... Yeah, he wastes 10 overweight Italians, and then he has the showdown with the boss, and he's just like, let me get fancier. Yeah. Buttons the jacket and just... Because you sit there and you're like... He even said... When he says, I was expecting mm-hmm. you. I think, I think what you're saying is pretty on point, right? I thought that meant, aha, I've laid a trap for you. Right. But not at all, man. That was just because they even led me down that path, too. Right. Because Ghost Dog's sitting there with his high powered rifle. And when the bird lands on his sight, right, and blocks the shot. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, this is going to get bad. Like when he's like, I rush in. Right. So they're leading me down this path of, you know, oh, the fates are moving him into something more dramatic. Right. And it's just so matter of fact, the guys I've been expecting you pop, 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 yeah. done. That's it. That's it. And I was like, there, there. I think that gets to the coolness of we all get the same soaking, right? I keep coming back to that card because that's the one that I took from this movie, right? Is that whether you were the young black guy who was beaten and then saved and transformed yourself into this killer, or you're a fancy suited Italian guy or handsome Frank or whoever the fuck, you're still going to get it, man. What is the what is the value of the journey on the way? And I think maybe that's why we spend so much time commuting with ghost dog. And especially the fact that when we commute, he has like special white gloves for his fucking volume 21 CDs, right? Like he doesn't have a computer, but somehow ghost dog is making mad mixtapes, right? Yeah. And dropping them in because that quality of the journey of him traveling through and seeing all these other people meandering around without codes. Right. So I think maybe that was, the deaths were cool. Um, before we get to the ending, there were two other things I wanted to clear up. What in the fuck did you make of the cartoon watching? Okay, I'm glad you brought this up because I, I I said that during <laughs> I said that during the movie. I was like, why are they watching cartoons? Like my wife said, she's like, well, maybe that's all they could afford as far as like stuff to put on the TV. I'm like, no, there's a reason for that because like they have the fucking Simpsons on there. I mean, come on, like. Yeah, the last one was the last. What was that? Itchy and scratchy. The last two are these itchy and scratchy bits. Yeah. And then, so my wife was, we were watching it, and then we got the itchy and scratchy thing, the the second one, and she's like, "Oh, it's the movie." I'm like, "What?" And I really like, I was watching it, and I thought about, I didn't get to go back and watch all of them, but I was rewatching the cartoons, and I think it's interesting because the cartoons are essentially telegraphing the events that are about to occur. Which is cool, and like really interesting, really? and an interesting. Oh wow! I'll have to go back and check that out. An interesting way, like partic- like the very like the last one, the itchy <laughs> and scratchy one, is the like 
the gun continuously getting bigger and finally they just like blow each other off the, the arms race yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it essentially sort of forecasts what's going to happen anyways but like it's one of the it's it was interesting i was trying to figure out what the cartoons were because they just they're playing on like old tvs this is like it's 1999 i'm just like is that a fucking yeah. tube morantz i can't see a fucking thing jeez but like <laughs> i i was trying to figure out what the cartoons like because she's watching cartoon i can't remember what the cartoon is that she's watching when ghost dog enters the mansion to kill him handsome he handsome frank was watching betty boop i yeah. think in one of handsome them. frank's watching betty boop in the very so beginning. i know she popped up so i don't know i gotta go back and re-watch those cartoons specifically because i feel like they are meant to forecast the plot yeah. a little bit it just feels out of place it feels wrong right you're like why are these hard people watching this and i was like is this to get reinforced the the lies they're telling to create their own characters, right? That they see everything in these very... Because cartoons are always very simplistic morality tales, right. right? Yeah. As you get older, you might find some subversion in Looney Tunes and this and that, right? Which, you know, we all know Betty Boop especially. Yeah. But for the most part, these are stories told so that kids know that's the bad guy, that's the good guy. Right. Right? And the yucks ensue. And so I was like, maybe that's why they're all watching it is because that's how they're living their life is this uh, that could work cartoonish too, yeah. version of good and bad. Because aesthetically, it just didn't fit to me. I was like, why is this? It was just like a really weird. Here. It was, at first, I was just like, is this just a, just weird, a weird like choice. indie movie thing? Like, we're just going to watch cartoons at some point. Like, oh, we're adults, but we watch cartoons. It's ironic. Yeah. I'm like, don't. But once you're on your 20th frame, like your 20th clip of cartoons, I'm like, you really want to say something. And I right. still have no yeah. fucking idea what. It was the same thing with like the, the ghost dog driving. And it's like the McConaughey commercial like montages <laughs> in uh, the, the doves flying. I'm like, are the pigeons? I'm like, all right, I'll settle on the pigeons are uh, like death, right? right. A spirit flying. So we open on a pigeon. That could be Ghost Dog getting the contract, that very opening pigeon. I was like, oh, that's fucking cool, right? right? So every time we see a pigeon flying, that's someone's soul's about to elevate above this this hard world we're in. Fine. The cartoons, I was like, I got fucking nothing. And the other one, I was like, I don't know if I still have anything. And this is one of those kind of... The, the 90s indie movies were really fascinating to me. Because, again, like right in the middle of Ghost Dog as we're doing this hit parade of the mafia we stop and just murder two racist and do a america is sometimes too ancient kill they killed a bear i'll kill you thing uh we do these like flash cards we do the cartoon like 90s movie 90s indie movies were just like we're just sitting and meditating y'all yeah on whatever we want and it was it was cool it was and this movie does it pretty well as good as most of them i ever saw but um the pitbull I don't know that I feel like I understand the point of that dog in the film. Because I feel like he shows up at two crucial moments. And he's supposed to matter and be symbolic of. And so I figured we'd wrestle with this one for a minute. All right. What? I mean, to me. So first time he sees him. First time he sees him, right? Dog's eyeballing the shit out of him as he's eating ice cream as the girl approaches, right? Second time is uh, near the end of the film. He sees him alone in the alley. Right. 
is that a ghost dog? <laughs> no, because the girl could see him. I was like, oh my god, he's the ghost dog. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but that's clearly not the case. Unless he got killed between that ice cream scene and that alley scene. And then I was like, he doesn't like dogs. He likes birds. His kink is falling asleep with a book on his belly surrounded by bird seed, which that and the book thieving really left a, an ill taste in my mouth. <laughs> but what do you make of the dog? There has to be something. Um. All right. Let me see if I make this work. The black dog in some circles is considered a sign of death. So when we first see the dog show up and won't leave ghost dog alone, the little Perlene says, tell him to go. And he says, go on. And the dog without hesitation runs off. Yeah. The second time. So you do think it's a spiritual dog. I think there's a spiritual connection. I don't think it's a ghost dog. Like, it's not oh, like shit. a dog. Do you think Perlene is actually death? And she's like, I'm going to kill this guy to steal his ill-gotten books. No, I do not think Perlene no. is. Death. All right. We'll throw that theory out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll throw that. theory. Out. We'll throw that one. Like that girl <laughs> through the Rashomon book. Just useless. <laughs> How dare you? Objection, your honor. <laughs> but then the second time is right before he's taken down. So, I mean, to me, to me, it's the symbol of death. And it's the beginning. It's ghost dog says, no, not now. Go, go away. Go on. And the second time he simply right. stares at the dog knowing he knows it's coming. So that, that, that's my, that's okay, my, so I wrote it in my notes. This is right after they shoot the lady cop. Yeah. And he just killed the bear racist, the bear fuckers. Yeah. Right. Um, so in that moment, that's right before he goes and does the awesome two rainy house murders. So he's kind of kicking it up a notch. I don't know why the dog drops in there or what that could mean. Maybe like you're saying, it's just a harbinger of what's to come. I feel like they could have used a pigeon for that because he's a a weird put seed on himself and falls asleep guy. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping for... I thought maybe... Because I had a rescue pit bull that I just found on the streets like that, right? Right. That maybe in a way that was reminding Ghost Dog of what he was. Just kind of a a lovable creature that has more to offer that was kind of left, left out to be squandered, right? Yeah. Just waiting for someone. Like, he wanted to be Ghost Dog's retainer in a way, right? He's like, take me up to your cool roof, man. We'll be best friends. No, fuck you. I was like... Also, yeah, third strike for Ghost Dog being a good guy. He doesn't like an actual dog. Strike three. Right. But, yeah, so I don't know. those The dog in the cartoons I never all the way settled on, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe the Ghost Dog is just like this reflective moment of because I have a code, I am higher than just. But this isn't like a, a weird predatory no. monster dog. This is like a really kind of cool insightful dog no, i mean so yeah I, don't, I didn't all the way settle on that no one. i would say it's i mean like to me it's just a it's a harbinger or some sort of vessel for the inevitability like of ghost dog's life on the way down yeah they should do a second movie where it's him and that dog and that dog is voiced by Dennis Quaid from that movie my mom always talks about. <laughs> <laughs> he just run around and be best friends. Jesus Christ. 
No. <laughs> They're fighting dogs. And Dennis Quaid is with the bear fucker family. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Oh, man. Yeah, so I got to give quick shout outs to the rain kill. Him shooting the guy through the pipe. So awesome. That's an all-time kill. That's an all-time kill. That, right was, there. that is not at all what I expected he was doing. And it was such a fucking aw- Also, yeah, the old-timer guy just rapping Flav of Flav in Public Enemy. Loved it. That was awesome. I love that fucking scene. Right. Great. All right. Now to the ending. Now to our ending. Oh, another scene I like that we just kind of glossed over. I like the... Uh, the meditative indie movie thing of just watching a guy build a boat in the middle of uh, downtown or wherever that was. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Just his buddy brings him up to talk about how cool a boat is. And Ghost Dog has no idea what the fuck he's saying. He just sees a boat and gets it right. right. Floating away to a better yeah. life. So shouts out to that beat too. While we're just doing that uh, ending. Ghost Dog hears. Sling it armed Italian man is here. He shot Louis twice, but he let him live. He keeps saying this thing, I'm retained. You're a retainer. I mean, you know, disrespect. Right. Why not, as he's there with his best friend, as he sees the little girl, right? Do you think for even a moment, part of, because he clearly knows what's about to happen, right? Because he takes a gun that's not loaded. What is your thought on why ghost dog doesn't just pop louie and be done with it it's not the code man that's why that's all it's it's as simple as that i thought yeah there's it go it would kind of defeat the entire point of ghost dog if at the end he he turns on the code right because what do they say it the most important thing in all things is to mind your master is that how it's phrased something like that i mean to me it it yeah. functions a couple of different ways. For, so for one, it's a matter of honor. Like you would not kill your master. Otherwise, if you are a masterless samurai, you are uh, what is the it's the Ronin. Ronin. So yeah, wandering samurai. So for and I don't think that's Ghost Dog's way. Ghost Dog doesn't wish to be a Ronin. He doesn't wish to be a wandering samurai. I think that emptying the clip is pretty important because then on another level. Without any bullets in his holster, they can't. Uh, they can't just assume that he was killed. By they have to like cops or anybody who shows up will have to assume he was killed because for something completely different. So he's also protecting his master in that way too. Well, the 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 strange thing is is that the gun's gone if and when the cops show up. Oh yeah. So really, Perling what I think it, that right, moment. Sorry. I don't even know. What I thought that. Yeah. The gun unloading moment to me was very interesting because I think that was him trying to give an emotional pass to his master, right, to Louis. Right. So as long as he's wearing the gun, Louis won't feel as guilty for shooting. Whereas if he walks out with clearly no weapons and his hands up, I think he knows he's putting a hardship on Louis, who again is directly responsible for the creation of ghost dog, right? Not who he was before, but he, you know, he would have just been dead. Right. So he's just been here helping Louie out with his business. And, but that's, that's the thing that I think is really fun about this scene is that ghost dog seemingly has a quality of life that is worth killing Louie for. 
but it's because of this fucking weird code, right? <laughs> and so to see that really put to the test, and another part of me is like, it's happening right here in front of his best friend and that little girl. That little girl is witnessing a, a man who she seemingly admires yeah. get gunned down, and what is that going to do to her? And so you're imagining that Ghost Dog is running all of this through his head, right? And as he's telling his friend, sometimes you got to follow the ancient ways. I know you understand me. Because I think on a basic level, everyone understands the man walking to his death, right, with honor. Right. But – the fact that he doesn't want to not get shot in front of that girl or he's not like, hey, maybe I'll be her retainer, right? Like, I'll be here to make sure she's okay in this rough environment, right? right. This little girl with the books who has all this potential. There, I think it's because you were talking about this earlier, right? This is a movie where you pretty much know where this is going, right? The road is paved in one direction right. uh, when it's a hit gone wrong movie. And you you know based on who Ghost Dog is, he can't give up the thing that makes him Ghost Dog, which is the samurai code. But fuck, man, if there was a part of me that thought he wasn't gonna fight and just be with that kid. It was gut wrenching. It was absolutely the fucking worst to watch. It really made me fucking depressed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you don't wanna see I think this is kind of the weird thing about Ghost Dog himself is, like I was saying, he's the only one who seems to operate with some semblance of honor. So, like, it's one of these things where you're like, even after he's killed, like, 20 dudes, even after he's killed, like, 20 <laughs> guys, he's like, it's one of those things where you're sitting there and you're like, I don't want a good man to die. And I'm thinking that after he just killed a bunch of people on screen, like, I don't want good people to die. Like, Ghost yeah. Dog is not a good guy. He literally murdered murders people for a living. That's not admirable behavior and steals books and God. rightfully and doesn't like dogs and rightfully takes books off the hands of lesser people so and fucking shares his seeds with birds what a ugh, gross you know what i love that ending no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'll tell you what it is though his saves the cat since he won't save the lovable dog moment of this movie is that Again, I think all of us on a basic level understand the difficulty of following a code, right. right? To be a truly honorable person and for Ghost Dog to make that choice in that moment has to occur, right? Because right. we all know what it's like to be on a diet. I'm going to try to be better to my wife. I'm going to try to not yell at my kids. I'm going to try to – all these things that we, we know would make our lives better and the lives around us better and we'd be better people. We all know what it's like to want to do that. And how fucking hard it is and how easy it is to give up, right? I'm not smoking anymore. I'm not drinking. So to see a man live this code, even if everything he does is bad, and a lot of his personal choices are beyond creepy, right? you still understand that he has this extra value. Because if he can do that in our minds and hearts, as we look at Forrest Whitaker's face, right, as he fucking draws us in, we know that he could be capable of so much more and especially he could be capable of something great despite all of his past behavior. Right. And I think that is why I, I just, I honestly couldn't imagine this movie with anyone but Forrest Whitaker. It, it's such a perfect. And even in that moment when he's just kind of laughing, he's like, is this the big dramatic duel at high noon? Yeah. And he's just kind of walking up to him, you know? And even as he gets shot, he's still, he's not, 
being dramatic about it. He's it's okay, yeah. right? Even as he's kind of seemingly telling Louis that what he's doing is nonsense, right? What are you gonna go pick up all the pieces? And Louis just says, Not exactly, right? Right. He's still just okay with that. The nonsense of it all, right? He's just getting his soaking now. It's just his turn. That's it. But you want it to not you, be. Uh, you want it to not again, be. Again, that's the power of this movie. You want Ghost Dog to you want more ghost dog movies you want them for the rest of your life you want to know how many more books he can take off the hands of lesser beings oh my god if he became lone wolf and cub or zatochi you're like i would have watched 15 ghost dog movies and loved it or if he just became but if he doesn't make this choice ghost dog does not exist anymore agreed now he's just creepy guy who steals books and lays with birds i mean this is why there needed if there was going to be a sequel where he survived he would have just been a librarian You would have been killing Bobon with books like John Wick. But yeah, I thought it was cool, man. Um, and it actually uses the the samurai wrap up in a really beautiful way uh, with the young girl reading in the kitchen. Right. Because yeah. she that scene is crazy, too, because she picks up the gun and aims it at Louie. And when she pulls the trigger, no bullet comes out. But you see Louie stumble a bit. And I was like, oh, my God, did she just mind bullet him? What is happening? But no, he kind of goes on. The daughter seemingly is now running the mob empire. And so despite what she's seen, we don't see this scene of weeping or insanity, whatever. We do see the ice cream man screaming in vain that the gun's not loaded, but he can't speak enough to save his friend, which is truly tragic. But she's just very calmly reading a book in the kitchen, right? Almost as if he's still there. And they talk about these lunch boxes they use on this flower day. Right. And that when they're done, they just throw them on the ground to be trampled by feet. Right. And that, uh, you know, I think the the way they phrase it is uh, the end is important in all things. And I thought that was such a just powerful poetic metaphor to end the movie on after what we just saw of Ghost Dog. That he was just thrown aside and trampled under feet. Right. And in a way, I and then it makes you wonder if that's how it, he wanted it to be. Right. That what seems like a waste and a pitiful waste to him kind of matters because he showed her and his friend that he sucked to the code. So it's a really fun like that's a really good wrap up for this movie, I thought. I think so, too. I mean, just it's. It's a straightforward movie about a samurai, and I think that's the best way you can put it is just it's wonderful (laughs) honestly like it's just a great yeah it's a great meditation on yeah it's a great meditation on all these things that it's a great meditation on all these things that i think are very familiar to us but come in a very unconventional package of a hitman who works for the a black hitman who works for the mob who goes by the way of the samurai that um, you know, in um, Nowheresville, East Coast place. Like, they never specify where it is. Like, I know it was shot in Jersey City, but, like, they never specify where it actually is. But, again, that's yeah. the value of the movie itself is that it could be anywhere. It doesn't matter. Like, the point is, it's yeah. the story of a samurai completing his journey. It's, it's just great, man. Well, yeah, I mean... I think what it does is it just pulls away all of those things. And while it feels specific and authentic, what it really is is just 
a person coping with a really rough and often unfair world by trying to create some kind of universality, right? Whether that's right or wrong. And clearly at the end, it doesn't seem to matter and or have helped him survive. <laughs> it might have helped him actually live more. Perhaps. And I think that's something we can all... Re I mean, it's just... It's ultimately so relatable. And Forrest Whitaker is just, again, the most interesting canvas. You just, I, I could just watch him walk around and survey people. It reminds me of that, what was that? That old Einstein experiment where it's just the man staring at the camera with a blank face. Right. And then they would show a house burning or a child laughing. And whatever the other frame was would paint how you saw his face. And I was watching. I was like, oh, my God. That's kind of what I feel with Forrest is he's just... He's giving me so many emotions. It's such rapid succession. I don't know. Beautiful. It's it's a fucking beautiful movie, guys. It is on Criterion Channel right now. Um, this is one you should probably just buy and own. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. That's enough for Ghost Dog. Uh, we'll be back Thursday with our month of a more movies. Uh, please take a second, leave us a rating and review. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Find us on all the social media sites that you're on. We love to hear from you. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffin. I'm Alex Dandino.